Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 14, uh, we are um, have this uh, situation here where uh, uh, David um, has created an enormous mess uh, in his family. And how did he do it? Well, uh, supremely um, by uh, his sin, by uh, the sin that we read about uh, David and uh, and Bathsheba and David committing an adultery and then uh, also murder as well. But there was a lot of other things leading up to that. There was the multiplying of the women in, uh, in his life uh, of wives, which uh, is a violation of, of really what the Bible says uh, um, that uh, it says really specifically it begin the Bible begins with marriage is one man and one woman and um, and so uh, he, he uh, subsequent uh, to his sin he was told by the prophet Nathan that one of the consequences was the sword was never going to leave his house and um, we saw the uh, that begin to, to happen in uh, chapter uh, 13 where Absalom uh, Absalom um, murders Amnon um, who had raped David's daughter and so uh, a huge mess is, is, is created and then uh, Absalom flees to uh, another city. Uh, David, uh, we saw him at the end of chapter 13, uh, just uh, longing for his son Absalom. And, you know, his son Absalom was a, a very charismatic guy, as we'll see. And uh, it, there's reason to just to believe that over the years that um, he had wooed his father into, into favor. And, uh, and so David uh, struggling greatly just with the consequences of his sin. And it says that he is, uh, he there is uh, at the end of chapter 13, he's uh, longing for Absalom's return. And so at the beginning of chapter 14, it says Joab. Now, Joab was the uh, commander of David's army. And it says, Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent, for, sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her. So now... What he is going to do now, what Joab is going to do now, he's going to set up a big charade, a ruse, a uh, surreptitious plan, a secret plan uh, to get Absalom back to, uh, to Jerusalem. And so he's, he's going to use this woman um, from Tekoa. She's a, she's a wise woman. She has uh, had a reputation of being a wise woman, and he 
Uh, she also, as we're going to see, is a very bold woman. And when you, when you pull, put uh, boldness and courage together with wisdom, you have quite a force in, in any human being. Uh, but uh, he says this to her, please pretend to be a mourner. In someone who's weeping over the death of someone. And put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth, meaning he's, he's telling her a story, is go say this to the king. Now keep in mind, he is the five-star general, more than that. He is the commander-in-chief, really, of the armies of Israel. Well, I guess you could say David was that because he was over Joah. But there was no, not a whole lot of refusing this request for this woman. And so he's going to tell her this fabricated ruse, the story to, to, uh, that she wants her to repeat to the king. And so... Um, he tells her uh, what to say to the king. And in verse four, it says, when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, so she goes to the king, she falls on her face to the ground and prostrates herself and says, help, O king. So David has this woman who is apparently in an enormous amount of distress just falling before him, saying, I need your help. Please, O king, I need your help. Verse 5 says, then the king said to her, what troubles you? Now, you may ask, well, what in the world? How did she get access to the king here? Well, um, I think we mentioned it uh, a couple chapters ago when Nathan was giving uh a similar ruse, but it wasn't really a ruse. Ruse is a um, ruse is a word with a the connotation that it's a it's the wrong thing to do. But he he gave David a parable about a a case that was in his kingdom. Well, at that time, the king was also a judge. We have a separation of powers in the United States of America. Uh, the judiciary uh, we have a Supreme Court. Uh, nomination hearings going on as we as we speak. Uh, we have the executive power, which is the president, and then we have the legislative power, which is uh, the, uh, the the Congress. But in the king, it was all three, and so the the cases that were um, really really important actually made their way up to the king, and so uh, her. She gets access to him. Of course, Joab, I'm sure, helped uh, get her that access. And so she begins this story that was given to her by Joab, but David thinks it's her story. And so she says this, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Verse 6. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. 
meaning the whole family is risen up against me, she's saying. And they said, deliver him who struck his brother that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. So she's saying, I only have two sons. One killed the other. The rest are coming for the, for the killer. They want to kill him. I'm going to be left with no heir. My husband's dead. And um, so a tremendous um, emotional appeal here that she is making to David. Verse 8. So King David said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And so he's saying, I, I will, uh, I'll think about it. But um, this woman, well-paid, courageous, she wasn't going to give up here. She knew she had to de deliver to Joab uh, a certain result. She doesn't give up. Verse 9, the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And so she, she, she doesn't leave. She, she, she's thinking to herself, well, if David does not give over my other son to be killed, he is going to be seen as unjust because murder, of course, is a capital crime in the Mosaic law. The penalty was death. And so she says, but listen, what she says to the king, listen, whatever you do, if you give me my son and you don't let him be killed, the guilt will be on me and not on you. It's kind of a vain remark because she has no power to do that. Obviously, we're, we're guilty or innocent before the Lord, right? And, uh, um, and, and, and in addition to that, a judge is responsible to the people, not to an individual person. But uh, nevertheless, she makes an additional emotional appeal. In verse 10, she succeeds. And she says, so the king said, whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you anymore. And then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God. And do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So, Chiking, how's it go? Ching Ching or Chiking, Chiking? No, there's something else. She's hearing success now. Chiching, is that it? I don't remember the expression for the cash register, but which they don't even have anymore in most places. But um, um, she succeeds here of getting the sympathy and the order from the king that her son is going to live. Verse 12, therefore the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he, David, said, say on. Verse 13, so the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? So she moves from her fabricated story to confronting him for uh, basically banishing Absalom 
and not allowing Absalom to come back into, um, into Jerusalem, which is, that's the state of affairs here. Absalom killed Amnon, both of them, David's sons, and Absalom, you know, flees to um, another city in exile, and David has never really called him back, which he had the power to do. He never really calls him back. And, um, and so she's moving from a fabricated story, which essentially was a parable, similar to how Nathan did it. Nathan didn't do it in deceit, but uh, he did so, uh, uh, you know, under the direction of, of the Holy Spirit. But uh, she's done it under, under deceit here. But she moves from that to a, um, she's moved from that to confronting him directly, similar to how Nathan did, uh, from saying, it's, hey, it's not a parable. Uh, it, it's, uh, not a parable. It's, um, uh, this is, this is talking about you. She's doing the same thing that Nathan did. And that's what she's going to start doing in verse 13. Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty. I mean, this woman has some guts. I said, she has courage. She's right in front of the king now saying, you are guilty. For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. So she's playing uh, fast and loose here. Uh, with the, the law of God, she, and, and this we uh, see happening um, all the time with people who don't like something um, in the word of God. They don't like the doctrine of hell. So they, well, a God of love would never send someone uh, to hell. And she's trying to say here, God does not take away a life. He devises some means to, 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 to try to, even in the case of a murder, to try to preserve the life. Well, well that's, that's not the case, certainly not the case uh, here in under the Mosaic law. But again, she's just appealing to his mercy. So she's not Nathan. This is not Nathan um, talking to her, this prophet of God who had talked to David. This is a woman who had been hired by Job. And the whole thing is a really questionable, deceitful scheme. Um, and I'll address a little bit more that later on why this is profoundly different from what uh, Nathan did. But um, she says, you're guilty. And she says that uh, surely we will, we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, meaning um, you need to be reconciled to your son now. You need to bring him back and there needs to be reconciliation with you right now. And um, then she says in verse 15, now, therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the king, because the people have, have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant, for the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. 
Uh, and so uh, verse 17, your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my Lord, the king in, di in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God be with you. Then the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, please let my Lord uh, speak. So the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? So uh, the king knows Joab well, uh, and he knows there's only one person who would have the guts to hire some woman and then co confront me. And there's only one person who would really have the authority to protect a, a, a woman from, from not being severely punished from doing that. And that must be Joab. And so she says, did Joab put you up to all this? And the woman answered and said, as you live, my Lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my Lord, the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing, but my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of the angel of God. So there's well, obviously some flattery going on there to know everything that is in the earth. Verse 21, and the king said to Joab, all right, I've granted this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, in that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Gersher and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Okay, so... Um, let us try to unpack some of what is going on here. Uh, the first thing that, one of the first things that I want to talk about is, interestingly, David, in, with his sin with Bathsheba and with Uriah the Hittite, committed two crimes that the law of Moses requires the death penalty. And one was adultery, and then the other was murder. But Nathan the prophet comes on behalf of God and says, you're pardoned. You will not be um, executed for this. There's gonna be a lot of consequences, but you will not be executed for this. Uh, now, the basis for that pardon is what? It's none other than Jesus Christ. That can only be the basis of any pardon from God's holy law. It's, it's Jesus Christ. And you don't see this very much in the Old Testament. They were bound to follow the law. But a prophet came in and said, I know the law. He says in so many words, I know the law says that the death penalty is the, um, is the consequence of your behavior, but God has, has pardoned you from the sin. 
It's what we call in the New Testament justification, as if you've never sinned. It's we're, we're going to pardon you, pardon you for it. But when when David's son, then, then Nathan says, but there's going to be consequences. Your family's going to, the, the sword is, or violence is never going to depart from your family. So the violence started with Amnon raping, uh, raping Tamar. And so then uh, uh, there's another, there's another issue there uh, that, okay, well, Nathan didn't come along or and no one else came along and pardoned Amnon. Uh, what should happen to Amnon? Now, uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but Leviticus chapter 18, according to that, um, if there is, uh, if there is, um, you know, the, 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 the law is not incredibly clear on what should have happened to Amnon if, if, uh, in Exodus 22, it says, um, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, and he shall pay the bride price for her uh, to be his uh, to be his wife. In other words, if there's premarital sex, there was a he was bound to uh, marry the woman. And um, but if but the next verse in Exodus 22 says, but if her father refuses, he can still get the bride price um, from the man who committed premarital sex. In this particular case, um, um, it was, but in this particular case, it was also incest. And the penalty for uh, incest of this nature, a brother and his sister um, was... Uh, according to Leviticus 18, they were to be cut off from, um, from Israel, from, from the people. Some people think that means the death penalty. Other think that people think that means uh, just exile. But the thing about Amnon's crime, it was not only incest, it was rape. And so um, if you put the Mosaic law all together, there's not specifically... Uh, it doesn't specifically, um, it, it, it's hard to pin down exactly um, what the penalty uh, should have been, but arguably it should have been death. At a minimum, it should have been um, exile. And David did none of that. David did none of that. Absalom waited two years. There was no justice. So Absalom takes justice into his own hands and he kills Amnon. So then the question is, well, what do you do with someone who kills uh, a rapist? Uh, and that is even more unclear. Uh, in, in my, that's just me. May, some of you may know these things better than I do, and you can email me your, what you think, but there's no clear indication of what the penalty is when, uh, what, what specifically what the penalty is um, if someone murders someone who in fact murdered someone else uh, and or uh, right who in fact murdered someone it's not clear um, what the penalty is probably at this time it's not going to be the death penalty but maybe uh, I don't think the Bible's 
really clear. There, there should have been a penalty, no doubt, under the, under the Mosaic law and under the system of justice they had. But um, it probably would, it, it, if you put all the Mosaic law together, it's probably not uh, capital punishment. Uh, in other words, Absalom probably didn't deserve capital punishment, but he certainly deserves something. He goes off in self-exile. Uh, that's what Absalom does, uh, fearing, you know, he's fearing David, um, but um, he's never called back. And so uh, this whole thing with Absalom being called back to, to David um, is it's, it's unclear to me whether or not uh, he should have had, uh, uh, David should even be allowing this in the first place. Uh, for example, should David be at a, a minimum announcing uh, some kind of penalty, penalty, which includes, among other things, this guy can't be the king. Uh, and so... A big question mark in chapter 13 is whether he ever should have called Absalom back in the first place. He's going to suffer greatly for doing so, um, for bringing Absalom uh, back, because Absalom's going to foment a rebellion uh, against David. I personally think when you put the word of God together, um, this is not something that should ever have been done. Uh, Joab did it uh, because... Well, it's, it, it says there um, that Joab, in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says the king's heart was concerned about uh, Absalom. He apparently, there was a mixture of sympathy and perhaps also in Joab's mind, someone's got to become king after David. And perhaps Joab thought at this time Absalom was the right man. Eventually, Joab would turn over to Absalom. So Absalom just puts this, uh, I mean, Joab puts this whole scheme together. Uh, it works. This uh, wise woman of Tekoa winds up uh, essentially, um, you know, creating this, uh, this ruse. Um, the reason I think that this is not similar. This is, was never really directed by God in the same way that Samuel was directed in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is really what I just explained. There is serious, serious question whether Absalom ever should have been asked back in the first place or ever been encouraged in any way to take up public life again. And um, certainly question whether uh, in the end we're going to see he apparently is fully pardoned and there was never intervention by a man of God such as Nathan. He was just pardoned um, for, for what we would call today a vigilante murder. Now, if you just let vigilante murder go unabated, uh, the, the, your society your community, your country is going to descend into anarchy. Uh, and so um, I just think this was, this was, appears to be scheming Joab um, at worst, at best, sympathetic, non-spirit-led Joab um, getting 
um, Absalom back. And so he, it does appear he was, he was trying. At the end of the day, it does appear that Joab was um, trying to serve the king because um, even if his motive was, look, the king needs an heir, Absalom, it looks to me, looking at all the sons, there's only one person who might be able to do it. It's Absalom. So even, even though his motives may have been bad, at worst, if it was the case that um, he was bringing them back because he wanted Absalom king, it does appear that Joab uh, was doing it with, with good intentions. But as I'm sure you've all heard, the, 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 the road to hell is paved with with good intentions, and um, really, all this is going to create uh, an enormous mess. Joab, I, I, I tell you, I, uh, someone could write a, a PhD thesis about this guy. I, I began the um, Sunday morning messages in Mark recently, and uh, there, at the very, very beginning of the book of Mark, uh, there is are, are two, two. Uh, verses quoted about the coming of Jesus. Um, one is from the book of Malachi, and it's uh, the the description in the book of uh, of Malachi where it comes from. The chapter that the the verse is quoted, ch chapter three. You know the description of the Messiah is wow. He is a um, a Messiah that we need to have a very healthy fear of it says in malachi uh, 3 2 who can who can endure the day of his coming who can stand before uh, before him when he appears he is like a refiner's fire uh and so but yet at the very same time in the book of mark the very next verse it quotes isaiah isaiah chapter 40 and in that chapter the uh the uh, description of the Messiah is precisely the opposite of what the description of is in Malachi. In that chapter, verse 11 of Isaiah 40, he will feed his flock, that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. And if those... Those of you who may remember that message about a month ago from Mark 1, the point that I made at the time was um, these are completely opposite things that we have in the Lord, but we need both because we are a complicated mess. <laughs> we need a God that is holy, that we can fear, and as the Bible says, uh, tremble before his word, and at the same time, I don't know about you. I know for sure me. I also need those who uh, gather, like Messiah, who gathers me as a lamb into his arm, who carries me in his bosom, and he gently leads those um, who are young. What does this have to do with what we're saying tonight? Well, Joab is an example of a complicated mess because there are times and, and that, that Joab clearly, and we've already seen it just a couple chapters ago, uh, with when um, David, uh, Joab defeats uh, the Ammonites among others, just some of his proclamations were just seemed to be so spirit led. Um, but at other times, he's 
deceitful. At other times, he's a cold-blooded murderer. We'll see later um, on, he rebukes David for taking a census, which was clearly prohibited. He, uh, and, and he had the guts to go before David and do it. So he's a complicated mess. We need Jesus <laughs> because we're all Joabs in a sense. Um, we, uh, we need the whole Jesus. We need a, we, we, we need, um, we, we need a Messiah who, who we, we, we tremble before him because he created the world and he's almighty God and who can endure the day of his coming. But we also need the, our savior, uh, that uh, gathers us up into his bosom. And so Joab, an example of all of us, a complicated mess. Uh, he is a fascinating character, but he achieves his objective. He gets Absalom back to Jerusalem. And verse 24, then the king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. Big mistake, but um, that's what he said. Uh, he said he can come back to Jerusalem, but I, he's not going to come before me. So Absalom returned to his own house but did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Now good looks are, can be a blessing. Um, they're... Uh, they're also a curse because they can lead to vanity. I think most people um, with very good looks at, at towards the end of their life would tell you it's mostly a curse because it's brought me way more problems than it's got, brought me benefits. Um, but it, it was certainly uh, the, the good looks were a curse to, um, uh, were a curse to Absalom uh, because this is what he did. Verse 26 it says he cut his hair at the, um, of his head at the end of every year. He cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the, the king's standard. Now, there's great dispute over this verse. Um, of whether this is talking about the weight, if it is, there's, there's variances between one pound and six pounds. Or is this talking about shekels, which was really... Uh, they weighed it in order to sell it, uh, and uh, and I can totally see a guy like Absalom putting his share uh, hair up for for auction, and uh, because shekels was um, also a currency, um, and so it's it's unclear which uh, it, it is. But the main thing you and I need to take from this is. Man, this guy's uh, good look. It's it, good looks. L listen, whether the Lord's giving you wisdom, whether he's giving you wit, whether he's giving you um, good looks, whether he's giving you lots of strength, I beg you, Calvary Chapel, don't let what happened to Absalom happen to you. Look what he does. He has a ceremony in front of, I guess, anyone willing to, to go or for those who are willing to pay the price, I suspect it very may well be that the 200 shekels was a price. And, um, and uh, that's what his vanity got him, that, that it was just this big show. 
he, he, he says he didn't have a single blemish. And so no doubt people ooing and aahing and he would uh, have his, the, the, the ceremony crazy. It's also uh, an indication, uh, the word is harbinger, a, 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 an, or, or also omen, um, it, it, if I could have the liberty of using a word like that, of bad things to come, because this man is vain, and you can be sure that when a man this vain takes over as the chief executive of a country, or he even seeks that power, there's going to be enormous problems. I mean, listen, uh, every leader, every single one is, has, has descended from Adam, has the, uh, has the sin of Adam, has um, most of them are, um, are, are inflicted with a certain level of pride. But I got to tell you, there's a certain level of vainglory uh, where you adore the applause and the admiration of others so much that your character is going to ruin your leadership and the people that you lead. And that's the case. I mean, you just know that a guy who has a hair wing ceremony of his own hair after a public haircut, you know that this guy is not going to be uh, leading the nation to a good place. And so um, it says, verse 27, to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. You know, that's a crazy thing. that it, it, Even Absalom, there is something about him that is admirable. Uh, as we've seen before, he took in his raped sister Tamar to live with him instead of saying, I don't want to do anything with you. And he also even names a daughter after him. So, uh, you know, uh, we sin is descended from Adam. Absolutely, we're corrupt. The, there's no good thing in the flesh, meaning there's nothing, no good work that can ever get a, a man or woman uh, to heaven. But it's also true that there are admirable things that descend from Adam and Eve. We were made in the image of God. And so even a guy like Absalom is, is, is capable of doing something like this. I mean, you should have at least a tiny little soft spot in your heart that he blesses his raped sister, a public ring. Everybody knows about this thing. He blesses her, though, by naming his daughter after her. Verse 28, Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And so the king's like, uh, oh, so jo I, I, I guess Joab refused to go to the king, even after Absalom asked him to go to the king and say, hey, look, I'm in Jerusalem. I want to go see my father. He sends, uh, tell, you know, tells, sent for Joab. Joab, go to the king and ask him. Joab says no. And when he sent again a second time, he would not come. And so here we see Absalom at his best. Verse 30, he said, like, at his worst, actually. Uh, he said to his servants, see, Job's field is near mine. He has a barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Very quick side note. 
you know, interesting there that Absalom has feels that would have been the case with royalty at the time. They not only held the office of prince and king, they actually had fields and other sources of wealth. Uh, and, and so his field was near Joab. He says to his servants, go, go burn up, uh, go burn up Joab's field. Uh, yeah, good way to get someone's attention. Uh, and verse 31, Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? Uh, Absalom answered Joab, uh, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Jeshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, iniquity in me let him ex execute me. Um, so that's the, so he's saying, why did you bring me here? Why did the king bring me here if I'm not even be able to see the king? And at this point, he says, I'd rather just say, bring me to justice and execute me from what I've done. But waiting like this is crazy. I don't want to do it. So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on the, his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. And so there is this reconciliation of sorts here. Now, I don't want to make too much of silence, but I think it's worth bringing up, particularly since we have so many parents in the church, so many young parents, uh, literally, we're having babies come into our uh, congregation almost every week now. We love that. A lot of young parents, and there, I think, is a lesson here for parenting. By the way, I was praying about a parenting lesson last uh, summer, for four weeks, I'm praying. Uh, I di didn't quite have a piece to proceed with it. Maybe it's because <laughs> we had so many babies being born in the fall. So I'm thinking now about um, starting off in January um, before the home fellowships start up after uh, during the winter break. But so pray with me about that. But um, what apparently never happens here, there's no good reason to believe that it happened is um, David still never really, he never really does anything here. Um, uh, again, there's no, he, uh, there's no punishment that he declares that it's at least possible um, that he said, okay, your, your, your exile um, was, was your punishment. Uh, but that would have fallen short of the Mosaic law in, in my opinion, as I've said, I mean, even, even, even Absalom here speculating about the fact that it's likely I should be put to death. Uh, and so, um, David never really has um, any kind of tribute. He doesn't call a tribunal together or anything and make a, a decision upon the justice with Absalom. But even more important than that, um, even more important than that, and this is for you parents, you know, one of the hardest things to do when you've made a mistake is to go to your own children and apologize and say, uh, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong, Absalom, for 
what I did with Uriah to the Hittite, sleeping with his wife and then killing him. I was wrong. I was wrong for not um, bringing your brother Amnon to justice after he raped your sister and my daughter. I was wrong. I was wrong uh, not, uh, not to try to resolve this sooner and leaving you in a place of indecision and bringing you back to Jerusalem and then not saying anything to you or not calling you to me for two years. I was wrong. And then trying to draw out Absalom. You know, tell me what's on your heart. Clear your heart. You know, pour it out, son. Pour it out to me. Uh, I'm certainly not claiming perfection in my life uh, of, of doing this perfect with all my uh, children, all of whom are adults today. But I, I will tell you that it's such a powerful thing when a parent goes to their child and says, you know, I was wrong. The way I talked to your mother, I was wrong. The way I talked to you in anger, I was wrong. You know, I, I spanked you in a, in a manner while I was angry and I should never be spanking you while I'm angry or, or whatever the case is. You need to be led um, by the, 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 the Lord. Um, but every father and every mother is living an imperfect life before their children. And there, there needs to be openness. There needs to be a time where you draw your children out. There needs to be a time where you give your kids an opportunity to speak back to you. Um, the things that, uh, you know, what did you think about me doing wrong or whatever, uh, this type of thing. Uh, I continue to uh, read things. I read something else last night. Uh, about people, Christians, uh, who, Christian leaders, trying to give explanations of why so many Christian kids leave um, the Christian faith uh, after they leave their home. And uh, the, it, the, the, there's, there's so many different reasons that are given, but supremely, in my opinion and my experience, the one reason that the kids rebel is they don't see an authentic Christian life inside the home. They don't see uh, um, a life of uh, described in, in Colossians chapter 3, which, by the way, I, I quote constantly in counseling sessions um, at our church when there is when there is conflict and click colossians chapter 3 says this it says uh, verse 12 of colossians 3 it says this note and this is what parents this is what your family needs to look like this is what your kids need to be observing in your family verse 12 of colossians 3 therefore as the elect of god Holy and beloved. I could do a whole message just on two, those two things. Holy and beloved. But the parents need to live out their life holy, meaning distinct. That's what holiness means. 
from the world, beloved, living out a life which they are living under the grace of God, knowing that they've been loved by God, knowing that they've been loved by Jesus dying for them on the cross. So their kids need to see parents who understand that they're holy and beloved. Verse 12 continues, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bound, but rather the bond of, of, of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called to one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you rich in, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let me tell you, you live those five or six verses, you're giving your children an opportunity to see the glory of God and therefore, when they leave the home someday, 18 or, or, or above, they're going to be thinking, why would I ever leave the glory of God? Why would I ever do that after seeing it for so long? Some will still rebel. Adam and Eve rebelled, and they saw the glory of God. Some will still, still rebel no matter how you parent. But um, as we look at David's behavior towards his son Absalom, uh, there were so many opportunities for him to live out this, this verse. Uh, the, the, um, the, it says, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, as Christ forgives you, so also you must do. Just, just, just going to his son, confessing, um, giving an opportunity for his son to air a complaint to uh, um, just uh, says that let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called to be one body and just being an example of, of peace himself in, in, in the home by being a peacemaker with his son, you really don't see any of that. And so what is going to happen is Absalom is going to rebel and uh, tens of thousands of, of Israelites would wind up dying because of that. Now, I do want to be careful uh, as we close to say this, uh, and this is, this is a word to children, including if you, you're an adult child, you could be 40 years old. You're still a child of someone. You could be 70 years old. Your, your parents may be dead, but you're still a, a, a child. Never, ever, 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 ever. Do, is there any indication in the Bible that you have a license to sin because of the bad behavior of your parents? I mean, David had committed some pretty terrible things in the home. But Absalom could not, will not ever 
be able to stand before God and say, well, I, I know I did the, these things, God, and we're going to get into his real bad behavior. But look at what I witnessed. And I don't tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times just different people have come before me in counseling. I mean, this is just, there's an epidemic out there because the world is telling the world there's an excuse for your sin. It's what your parents, what you witnessed in your parents or what your parents did to you or what someone else did to you. But there's just nothing in the Bible that says that we can ever stand before the Lord and have that as an, as an excuse. Now, the Lord's clearly is merciful and he accepts everyone just where they're at. He knows our frame. He knows what we've been through. But we can never excuse any of our sin based upon our parents' behavior. You know, I, I was just reflecting on this before the message tonight. And recently I, uh, I quoted to someone after, after service, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Um, the reason you never have this excuse um, before the Lord is not, the Bible clearly says that um, uh, it's not an excuse for one. But the second reason, I'm talking on a Tuesday night, I'm talking to Christians. If you ask Jesus to be your Lord, if you surrender before the Lord and ask him to be your Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, you are a Christian. As a Christian, you, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, as soon as you believed, at that split second, the Holy Spirit came and invaded you, possessed you, and will possess you um, uh, forever. There, it is a permanent thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave once, once he comes inside of you. And once the Holy Spirit in, is inside of you, you have the power to overcome any sin whatsoever. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, Do you not know that the un un unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sex um, outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But then verse 11, importantly, one of the most glorious verses in the Bible, it says, and such were some of you. Wow, that's a pretty incredible list I just read. Homosexuals, sodomites, adulterers, such were some of you. And then verse 11 continues, but you were washed. How? By the Holy Spirit. Then it continues, you were sanctified. How? By the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, but you were justified. How? By the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You have the Holy Spirit, Christian. You don't have an excuse to sin. Um, if, if we had that as a sin, every human being, if we had that as a, as a license to sin, every human being who, is, who has ever lived um, after Adam and Eve would have an excuse 
would be able to use that excuse. And so God is a merciful, God is a merciful God. 